So for me, retirement didn't mean stopping. It meant shifting. But I see the people who are engaged in things that are creative, for example, are way more vital, way more alive. Especially as we age, remain relevant and make a contribution to the world that we want to make and at the same time make money. If I don't do this now, when am I going to do this? I've always worked, so I've never developed the retirement skills, so to say. This is Unretirement, a podcast about finding purpose and a paycheck in the second half of life. I'm Chris Farrell from American Public Media. Now, have you heard of the gig economy? It's also known as the share economy and the freelance economy. Think the drive-sharing service Uber and the home-sharing business Airbnb. Now, the gig economy is controversial, with good reason. For young people with families, you know, you get to be your own boss in the gig economy, but you don't make much money and you don't get benefits. But what I've learned is that the gig economy might be a pretty good deal for some people in their own retirement, which is why I met up with Sue Johnson. She's a 72-year-old Uber driver. She picked me up at American Public Media. So I'll just go down seventh. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> and this is a one-way to say you know. That's not going to happen. I can turn up there, right? The gig economy is so associated with millennials. When you use your smartphone to arrange for a ride, the last thing you would expect is a 72-year-old grandmother as an Uber driver. I asked Sue, why did you decide to join the gig economy? This was my daughter's idea. She said, Mom, why don't you become an Uber driver? She lives in Arizona. And I thought, yeah, I just can't be a luncheon queen. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and so making a little money is probably a real good idea. I may live a long time, and you really don't want to outlive your money. <laughs> so Sue started her gig in January of 2014, and Uber says that about a quarter of its drivers are 50 years and over. The way it works is she's got an app on her phone. And if she feels like working, she turns it on. If someone like me is looking for a drive, I turn on my version of the app and ask for a driver. If Sue is the closest driver to me, she says, okay, I'll come pick you up. So I can be sitting around and thinking, oh, I don't have anything planned for the next couple hours. So I can turn it on and in my apartment, I don't have to be in the car. And it takes me about a minute to get to my car and pick up somebody to take them where they want to go. She says it's fun to meet the different people she gets to pick up. I've picked up people from uh, Harlem Globetrotters one time, nice young men. <laughs> and um, we have people from all over the world living here. And you make a little bit of money. And I make a little bit of money. Yeah, I probably wouldn't do it for free. <laughs> and then you have your flexibility. So that's important mm -hmm. to you? Oh, yeah, it's very important. It's very important because... I worked uh, for a few months at um, one, one of the high-rises for senior citizens. Of course, they thought I lived there, but I didn't. I was working. <laughs> and, um, and so, but that tied me down to certain days and hours. And so when I found this, it was kind of like, oh, this is great. It's kind of nice to be able to say, oh, yes, I can meet you for lunch. It's fine. You know, it, something at the spur of the moment. Or like if one of my grandkids don't feel well, I can run over there and I can be with them for half a day or a day, whatever needs to be, or pick them up. So that that's a good thing too. 
So this job works for Sue, or at least seems to work pretty well. But gig economy jobs like hers are controversial. One troublesome question. Is the worker an employee or an independent contractor? Another is that gig work is only part of a much larger shift in the job market. The percentage of nine-to-five jobs with benefits, you know, retirement, health benefits, is shrinking, and the number of contractors, freelancers, and contingent workers is increasing. So the real problem is that America's social safety net is outdated. It's outmoded. It's designed for a different economy and a different workplace. The safety net still assumes that workers are full-time employees who get their health and their retirement and other benefits from their employer. Of course, if they're moonlighting for some extra income, that's fine. I mean, that's a fairly traditional thing in our society. But the safety net doesn't help out young people trying to raise and support a family in the gig economy. The status quo is a disgrace. It's shameful. We need the change our social safety net. That said, you can see why the share economy, the gig economy, could be beneficial for aging workers. Older Americans have a safety net, Social Security and Medicare, and hopefully some retirement savings. The kids are off on their own. They're out of the house. So if you basically have decent household finances and you're just looking for some extra cash and something to do, the gig economy might work for you. For Sue, The gig economy works because she doesn't want to be tied down to a job that has regular hours, but she doesn't want to stop working. I've always worked, so I never developed the retirement skills, so to say. Do you worry about security? No, basically just because I work during the day. One time I picked up some four young men and I got such a kick out of it because they had started a little early to go to the game, <laughs> and, and 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 one of them was kind of speaking up rather loudly, and I saw them in the back seat giving them the elbow like, Grandma's driving the car, be good. <laughs> and I just dropped them off, and they were really sweet. I dropped them off, and I said, okay, I'm taking you to the party. I'm not picking you up. <laughs> and that's pretty much what I do. Sue and I have been driving around in downtown St. Paul for about 25 minutes, and then she took me back to my office. Now, I just dropped you off here. I'm completing the trip. And then I give you a rating. You give me a rating, and I give you a rating. So I'm going to give you five stars. Complete it. And this driving around for this length of time would have cost you $16.10. So out of that sum, Sue kept around 80%. In other metropolitan areas, 70% is more common. And then, of course, you have to offset that income with various expenses. Still, for people in their unretirement, a job like this is something to consider to make some extra cash, to get flexibility, make some money, and hopefully do something that you like. Up next, an interview with journalist Mark Miller to learn more about older Americans and the gig economy. Uber, TaskRabbit, Etsy, Airbnb, The list of gig economy platforms is long and growing. Mark Miller has written on the share economy and older workers. He's a columnist for Reuters, and he writes for a number of other outlets, such as AARP and Morningstar and the New York Times. He's also the author of The Hard Times Guide to Retirement Security, Practical Strategies for Money, Work, and Living. 
and I highly recommend it. Mark, thanks for being with us. Chris, thanks so much for inviting me. Okay, so we have this the focus on the share economy, the gig economy, the freelance economy, and you've, you, you've written about this. The focus is usually on the young millennials. How do you see this economy fitting in with the desire of older workers to keep earning some money? It fits really well for a number of reasons. And even though when you look at some of these sort of gig economy platforms, they, they are dominated by younger people. It's, but the fastest area of growth these days on a lot of these platforms is in kind of the 50 plus uh, area from an age standpoint. And and that fits very well with some of the data that, you know, I'm sure you've seen, Chris, on just the the trend of older entrepreneurship. You know, you look at the the breakout of entrepreneurs in their 50s and 60s, and it's well over a quarter of all business startups. Yeah. So, you know, it, it just fits the trend, I would say. And what do you think? Is this a low-cost way to find out? Do you want to be your own boss? Because, you know, the thing is we all think we want to be, but maybe it's not going to work for us. Well, it is a good way to sort of uh, get your toe in the water, if you will, with fairly low amount of commitment and see if things are working. And with a lot of these platforms, especially the ones that are so-called kind of, you know, knowledge economy platforms, uh, you know, where you're, where you're helping to sell services like um, consulting, for example, one of the things that these things do well is provide an avenue for lead generation. And for people who are just getting started with self-employment or, or you know, entrepreneurship, you know, th this may be one area that people are less familiar with how to do is how to gen go out and generate business if they've been used to um, full-time salaried employment. And then, of course, flexibility. So, you know, the ability to work when you want to. Uh, you know, perhaps even more pronounced with these shared economy platforms than if you actually hang out a shingle on your own. Yeah. So and if you're thinking about being an Uber driver, and one of the things of the, the person that we interviewed, a 72-year-old grandmother, is she yeah. kept talking about the flexibility, like she doesn't drive at night. Right. Yeah. You can just, you know, turn the button on and off whenever you want to. And I guess about a quarter of all the Uber drivers are now over age 50 and, um, you know, they're actively recruiting from the ranks of older drivers. So with your writing and knowledge about personal finance and what you've written on, I mean, does it seem that, you know, if an older worker is, they have, they have their social security, they have Medicare, hopefully they have some retirement savings. I mean, is this sort of share economy perhaps better designed for some older people than it is for a young person who's trying to raise a family and boy, it'd be nice if they could uh, save for the retirement through their employer. But of course, you're not going to be able to in one of these uh, gigs. Well, you know, earned income or, you know, in income from work is a growing part of the mix when you look at this from a retirement planning standpoint. More and more people are relying on the idea of some income from work to an older age at this point. So, you know, th that means a lot of different things to different people, but even a small amount of income can be pretty meaningful if it means more years of doing some level of retirement saving or perhaps paying down debt that is still hanging around, if it means fewer years where you are drawing down on savings, or if it provides enough income to perhaps allow you to delay a social security filing, and that in turn can let you, you know, realize much higher social security benefit income when you do finally file. Yep. So there's lots and lots of reasons why this can be very beneficial, even even though you might say, well, gee, I, I can only generate ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 a year through this kind of part-time work, and I'm just picking that number out of the air. But 
you know, that could be pretty meaningful for a lot of folks if it if it contributes to one of those pulling one of those levers I just described. And by the way, the answer to this question may simply be no. But when you were starting your columns and exploring the gig economy, the share economy, did anything surprise you? No. <laughs> I mean, because I've written about, uh, you said I could say no. So Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, freedom, freedom to say no. Uh, no, because, you know, as I say, I've been writing about the entrepreneurial economy, the 50 plus entrepreneurial economy for quite a while now. And, you know, seeing this morph over into some of these platforms, you know, whether it's an Uber or, you know, Fiverr, Guru.com, all these sorts of places it makes total sense to me. And, you know, another thing is that as, as you have the, I call it sort of the, the, the ungraying of the retirement market, it, it, more boomers moving into that sweet spot in their 60s. And these are people who are very familiar and comfortable with all manner of technology. So the, the older population is becoming more tech savvy. So it totally stands to reason that these would be people who would just glom onto some of these web-enabled and mobile-enabled services. And then... You started off one story. It was with, uh, I think it was Brooke Falk. He was age 67, and he was working on Fiverr. And, you know, the numbers that people are earning doing this kind of work isn't much. Right. But is that a criticism? Is that, does it matter? I mean, how to think about what kind of pay you're going to be getting. Right. So Fiverr, where you, I guess, need to offer something that prices that start at the $5 range. So you kind of scratch your head and say, well, how is that worth my time? But so this is a guy who does, you know, a kind of announcing, he comes out of a radio background. So he does, he'll like can record a script for you or he, he'll do writing projects. But see, the things that he's selling for five or 10 bucks are just sort of in the can. They're not customized. They're things that he's selling over and over again. You know, they're kind of loss leaders, just things that he can use to get people interested. Yeah, and a little bit like a subscription where you just kind of make a little money off the same thing. And anyway, who? I mean, we're journalists. Who are we to talk? I mean, exactly. Giving, giving away most of our stuff, right? So um, on the Internet. So anyway, most of his – really the story with a guy like that is that he's upselling. So a lot of those low price sales can turn into larger ones later. He told me that – you know, his top billing accounts are in the neighborhood of $1,500. And so, all, you know, the custom developed, more expensive stuff is what you're interested in. So it's, you know, like a lot of the stuff on the Internet, you can get something for next to nothing. But to get anything really, you know, high value, you got to pay more. Yeah. And I know some editors that would come back and say, yeah, it's probably worth about $5. Um. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> exactly. Uh, try that again. <laughs> well, thanks a lot for your time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Chris. That was Mark Miller, journalist and author of The Hard Times Guide to Retirement Security, Practical Strategies for Money, Work, and Living. turn to the home. We got a listener question on unretirement, and it's from Jerry. And she has the question that everyone asks as they get older. This is Jerry Batchelor, and I live in Cary, North Carolina. How can I get rid of much of my stuff so that my son won't have to do it? 
and yet continue to live comfortably? Oh, I love this question. It's actually part of a much larger question, such as, do you have a will? Have you designated who are the beneficiaries? Have you have a retirement savings plan? But let's focus on this issue about you got stuff and what are you going to do with your stuff and your son? So I've jotted down five things that I would think about. The first and the most important is to talk to your son about your stuff and your things and what is he like? And there may be something that you're looking at and you're thinking, you know, I should probably just get rid of that. And he might say, no, that has real sentimental value to me. So a big part of all estate planning, making transitions at this stage of life, it's about having a conversation, in this case, with your son. So you're on the same page. There's no surprises. Second, get rid of the stuff you really don't need. You know, those old receipts, those pieces of paper that have piled up over the years, you know, just get rid of it. Go through it. Get rid of it. Take the time. It's taking up space. There's no value to that. So you're just kind of cleaning out the junk. At the same time, you're plucking out the things that do matter, a receipt for something that has some real value. Where is your will? Where are your bank accounts? If you have certificates of deposit, do you have a safety deposit box? So part of it is just going through your household, throwing away those pieces of paper that you no longer need, which by the way, almost all of us accumulate a lot of that stuff. But then for your son, putting in a place, a safe place, all the information that he's going to need, unfortunately, when you pass away. Next, if you're going to move, if you're going to move to an assisted living or a senior center or whatever you're going to do, a smaller townhome or a condo, that's a really good time to go through your place and say, what do I want to keep? What do I want to take with me? What is it that's really important to me as I move to this different place? Then what you can do is hire a service who will come in because you've taken out the stuff you value and your son will be with you and he'll have taken out the stuff that he has that he values. And then the service will come in and they'll do a sale. They'll put some stuff up on eBay or whatever. Uh, they'll give it to charity and they'll get rid of the stuff that has absolutely no value to it. So that's one way of dealing with it if you're going to move. If you're going to stay in your home, one thing to think about is to start giving things away. That's what my mom has done. She'll think, oh, this friend, this neighbor, he's an audiophile. He'd really like to have these speakers. I have no idea this person wanted the speakers, but they got the speakers, and they seemed very happy to get the speakers. And some of it was people that she knew in the, her apartment complex that she was moving from. Some of it was relatives. Some of it was to me. And so she enjoyed giving away her stuff. And she wasn't giving away the stuff that she couldn't afford to give away or is that important to her everyday living or memories that she really cherished, but she enjoyed getting rid of some of her stuff that she no longer needed but had a value, and she knew that somebody could really use it. Last, I think about an audio recording, a video recording, and to leave that behind for your son about some important memories and perhaps looking at uh, a table or a chair or there's some piece of artwork and what's the story behind it and why was it valuable and why do you care about that? And to leave some sort of audio or video will of memories 
of why these things matter to you. So this is a process. And one of the things about doing this process is if you're having conversations and you're engaged and you're helping to give it away, but you don't give away the things you need, and then you create this audio or video recording, I think that is satisfying for everybody. Thanks for listening to Unretirement. Now, if you want to do us a favor, go to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a rating like Sue did. So I'm going to give you five stars. We got help from American Public Media's Public Insight Network. To become a news source for APM, go to publicinsightnetwork.org. Thanks to editor Catherine Winter, producer Lauren D., and Steve, he kept it tight, Nelson. I'm Chris Farrell.